Welcome to I'm Game with Fred Croner. Today I'm joined by Chris Carr, a farmer in Seymour who's actually uh, been farming, I believe, now for 53 years. Right, Chris? Right. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Pretty good. We're uh, right now, The when you say farmer in this area and many areas, our biggest problem is weather. <laughs> We've all gone through this before, but the younger farmers uh, are struggling as we all are with the cold spring, wet spring, hot, then cold and hot and cold. Those are things we're struggling with right now. In fact, that was my, my very first question I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you know, I, I grew up on a farm and I remember one time my, my dad said, you know, it doesn't matter what it's like. He says, we've never not gotten a, a crop in the field. And so, you know, a couple of years ago, I know it was, it was real rainy and a lot of people had to do a lot of replanting. And, and this year, uh, you know, throughout April, it just didn't lend itself to getting in the field at all. Talk, talk a little bit about the challenges of the, of the uncertainty of the weather from year to year. Back in time, this year, spring of 22, uh, almost all of the farmers, uh, our goal, we have an obvious goal to plant in a window. So the window this spring, uh, and, and more and more, we want to plant the corn and beans as early as we can. So this planting region would be, the window would be April the sometime in the first part of April, the optimum for corn would be if you can plant all your acres in one day, April 15, and probably that now with beans, soybeans. So we're trying to get this planting window. Well, we missed all of that. And so then we go into the next stage and that is panic mode. And, uh, and so we tried to get started planting uh, May the 2nd in our operation, but uh, there probably was a few that were earlier than that, but we still struggled with wet ground, not drying out cold nights. And that's where we're at. We're trying to recover from that. So the old saying that you made reference to, if you start late, it's going to be late. So that means the, the heat units that we watch, uh, uh, you know, we want to take advantage of all the heat units that are produced uh, during the growing crop year. And if you don't get that crop in the ground to take advantage of those sun days, then you're going to have either a reduced yield or you're, you're just going to be later. Well, and exactly, you know, that, that's a very good point because uh, it, it affects, it, a late planting affects the back end of it, right? I mean, obviously you can't, uh, if you get the crop in late, you can't harvest as early as you'd like to. Correct. Yesterday we talked to an agronomist who was looking at some problems in our soybeans uh, from the uh, cold spring. They're struggling. The soybeans are right now in some areas. And he said that after 15th of May, you lose one half a bushel per day. Now, the 15th of May was a planting date. So technology has, has given us a lot. And we've improved the, tech, the genetics with corn and soybeans to where our yields are higher than they were 20 and 30 years ago. But the weather still is, is the driving force. And so, you know, we're, we're, uh, we, need, we need those heat units. I'll go back and talk about, say that. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing, I, I know when you started farming, uh, I think you just had several hundred acres. Now you're up, uh, I don't know, exactly over 1,800. Um, the ability to do that is, is because of the, the change in the technology. I mean, I, I grew up with a, you know, a, a three-bottom plow, a, a four-row planter. Um, you know, you, you could never farm 1,800 acres this, these days if you had that kind of equipment. And, and you probably could have farmed 1,800 back in the 70s if you'd had the equipment you had now, right? Correct, correct. 
one of the things about the technology that we have, uh, even 10 years ago or so, we did not have seed treatments. So the seed treatments on soybeans, for example, let you plant the soybean earlier. So we found out through the research that soybeans will germinate at 50 degrees in the ground, four inch level temperature, and corn, it takes 55 degrees germinate at the four inch level. So that's why that in the last few years, farmers are planting soybeans and corn the same time. Many of the farmers have two planters, so they're able to plant corn and beans the same day and, in, and fall into that window of early planting. So when you got into farming, did you ever envision yourself having up, uh, you know, close to 2,000 acres you're going to be responsible for or, or not? No, no. Back in 1970, when I started, uh, you're right. We, we had a, a little bigger than a four-row uh, planter, but, but we, you know, we, we had uh, what, what was available and times have changed. The, the machinery you pointed out is bigger and, and a lot of farmers are bigger than we are. Uh, there's some large farmers in this area, but, uh, that's, that's something that I never dreamed. I guess you would, you would say that that would be, be able to farm this ground. But the point that should be made is that the windows for some reason are very short windows and that starts in planting and spraying in the summer and harvest all the windows for some reason for are getting shorter for us. So, so what happened when you and I were young, wherever there was livestock and grain farms uh, incorporated there, we would do the chores. We'd start the, the day out real early and, and do the chores. And then you'd go to the field. And then you'd come in from the field about five o'clock maybe and do the chores again. So it seemed like we didn't even start picking corn, harvesting corn and putting it in the ear corn crib until Thanksgiving. And, and all those windows have changed now. And it's because the genetics of the corn has been bred so that it will dry down quicker. And then there's different soybean uh, maturity groups too. Now, because of the, the change in the window, is there some pressure to maybe in a, in a year like this year, get out in the field a little sooner than you might want when maybe the, the soil is still a little wet and might create some clods? Uh, knowing that, uh, you know, you, you don't know what the weather's going to be like a, a week from now. So you, you just kind of maybe take those chances or not? Yes, yeah, some of the larger farmers know that they have to plant so many acres a day to get done, to get into, into the window. So some of the larger farmers will start, uh, I believe they will start sooner than maybe they should. And, and the fact that some of the four-wheel drive tractors will actually go through the ground a little when it's a little wet, when some of the two-wheel drive tractors back in the day that you and I talked about probably wouldn't even go through the field. What do you see as the future in farming? How, how's it going to change more in the next 10, 15, 20 years? Well, we see John Deere with the auto uh, autonomous driving, meaning that the tractor will drive itself. Uh, I, I see technology continue to change uh, the, we, we read every day and hear that, we, that agriculture, the farmer feeds the world. So if you're going to farm the same amount of ground acres wise, you're going to have to have a, a more yield. So I see the, the, the technology changing the corn and the soybean yields, and they may not raise 100% higher, but there'll be some higher yield. And then 
what we have to do is manage uh, our crop expense. You know, one of the things that I had written down before we started talking, and every single person has to deal with this inflation. That's a right now deal, a 2022 right now. So our expenses have gone up so much. And the question that we have, and my son, Jeff, uh, is will these expenses come back down after we get through this period, whether it's inflation or recession or whatever. So I see the future. Uh, I'm the optimist of the group. And uh, so I think it'll, it'll eventually get back. But will it get back to what we call an Illinois normal? I don't know. Well, you know, along with those changes, uh, you know, all you have to do is drive around uh, anywhere, especially around Muhammad or St. Joe or Tolono, and more and more of the farmland is, is getting taken up by, by development. So, you know, the yields are going to have to go up if you're going to continue to feed the world because there's going to be less farmland available, right? Yes, yes. I, I would say, yes, there were some areas that that you probably could develop that would not necessarily be high productive ground like we have in Champaign County, McLean County and Macon County. But you're right, to some extent, we're gonna lose those acres. I know when you got out of high school, you went to Parkland and right after you graduated from Parkland, uh, they hired you to, to teach some welding there for a while. Talk, talk about uh, your early start there doing some teaching and farming at the same time I imagine it goes back to what we were saying earlier. You were farming less acres, so you probably had the time available. You could do some teaching, whereas now with, with what you're farming, it'd be pretty difficult, wouldn't it? Yes. I've talked to some groups of young FFA kids, and one of my themes was then and now. So when I talk about what I did and the opportunities that I had, I try to convey those to the younger people. So yes, at 20 and a half years old, Parkland offered five of us after we graduated in 1969, para meaning part professional. If we would pursue a degree in education, we would be able to teach with a two-year associate. Yes, that's when I started teaching then in the spring of 1970 and farmed part-time with dad. So as time went along, then eventually we were able to rent and buy land to increase the, the, the size of the farm and, uh, and eventually uh, did not teach at night or at Parkland. How enjoyable was that experience for you doing the, doing the teaching? Because obviously that's a little different than the, than the hands-on farming that uh, you're used to otherwise. Well, anyone that knows me, I, I really, really enjoy meeting people and uh, I miss that part of it. So it was really enjoyable to deal with people every day and, uh, I had some good mentors and, and that, that motivated me. So when I graduated from Muhammad Seymour in 1967, uh, you would have never convinced me that I'd be teaching in a community college two years later. And I'm thankful for that. Well, and I imagine it was a little daunting, right? Because a lot of the students were probably within a year or two of your age. So, I mean, you're, you're not only teaching, but you're teaching people that are, are basically your age as well. Two years, yes. I know people today that I met then and uh, I'm involved in a tractor club and I had some of those students, uh, I had some of those, those people for students in the 1970, 71, 72 timeframe. It seems to me like in this day and age, it'd be virtually impossible for somebody to get into farming if they don't kind of have a little in. In other words, if they didn't grow up on a farm and have access to some equipment, that there'd just be hardly any way if, you know, if I'm graduating from high school and say, I wanna be a farmer, but I've never been on a farm and don't have any equipment. I mean, just the cost involved would, would be astronomical, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, it would. 
that sums it up pretty well. Uh, one of the things that is, is in our area, there are several research companies in, in this area, and uh, those kids can go to school, in particular to the U of I, and get a degree and work for those research companies, but then could uh, maybe on a limited basis work part-time for a farmer and get an opportunity to start farming part-time in that, in that way. I've always heard the uh, the adage that, that farmers never retire. So so how about you? I mean, you've been doing this 53 years. Do uh, you see a day when you're going to step aside or do you think you're just going to continue doing this? We're incorporating our son into this now. And uh, I think it all depends on one's health. I think we're all very thankful for our health. And as long as I have that, then I would continue to, to farm. Uh, I, I think our selling point is that I have some experience from the actual farming and planting and harvesting. And our son has more education, obviously, and he does a lot of scouting. So we combine his energy with my experience. And I think that that's really a good fit. It's a pretty good formula isn't it? when you have that and uh, able to work together like that. Yes, yes. Well, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. I, I know over the years, I, I've read about you in the newspaper, uh, especially around state fair time uh, uh, for hog calling contest. Uh, talk about how, how did you ever get involved with that in the first place? And, um, and, and just, you know, are you surprised? I, I think you've won what, eight or 10 uh, state titles over the years? 10. Uh, started out, we were 4-H leaders in Muhammad uh, with uh, Turners and Dunlaps and Bidners over the time, my wife and I. And so we were, our son, showing Duroc pigs at the Illinois State Fair uh, 29 years ago. So a friend of mine, we became, uh, he and I were chaperones in the building south of the Orion Samuelson building for kids where their parents couldn't come to the fair. In the middle weekend of the state fair, I started calling hogs. It was a competition to draw people into the swine barn. And uh, I, I think the best way to describe hog calling is a lost art. So our forefathers, even my grandfather, uh, would go out into the pasture and call the hogs from the pasture to the barn in the morning at night to feed them. And uh, from the standpoint of young people today, we wouldn't have those animals out on this good productive ground. There are a few exceptions to that. Some people do pasture the, the, the animals. But that started out, uh, I just called every weekend, uh, or excuse me, the middle weekend of the state fair for several years. That's what I did. And uh, people say, well, why do you do that? And my answer is simple. Uh, you know, people like to go to tractor pulls. They like to go to the Indy 500. There's different things people like to do. They like to go boating. They like to golf. I like to call hogs. Uh, the media, I will say, has been very, very kind to me. Over the years, the media would say, will a pig come to you? And and I, I answer the media by saying that, uh, we, we all have pets, so animals respond to voice command. So if you have a horse or a cow or a cat or a dog or a goat, uh, any species that you feed and take care of and, yes, love each day, and you talk to them, people may not admit that they're talking to animals, but uh, it happens. And I think that, uh, that the hogs would come from a voice command um, standpoint, hog calling, if you will, uh, from a lost art standpoint. 
No, is, is it also important that the inflection, not just the, the tone of voice, but the inflection you're using, is that a, a key factor as well? The, the judging of the, of the hog calling was based on different factors, and that would be the assurity and the voice, and yes, and, and uh, I've always had skits to go along with it. I would try to use themes at the state fair uh, that the state fair would publish early before the fair. Uh, uh, for example, you know, education, uh, they might focus on a certain theme and I would try to tie the hog calling to that theme. So is this something you can practice when you're <laughs> Most of the time I don't practice. No, I've pretty well figured it out over these years. And people just look at me and shake their head and that's just perfectly fine. Yeah. <laughs> So is this something that you still do? I mean, will you be at the state yes. this year doing it again? Yes, we had to skip. You, 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 everyone knows we had to skip 2020 because of the COVID. I'd, I, I'm sure it's like a coach. And uh, even in your business, you reach a point of time that it's this is the last one or it's time to retire or whatever. But uh, we'll just let time take its course and see what happens. So do you see a lot of the same people from year to year or do you see some new faces in there? Yes, both. Uh, there were some people that that would call their, that were tied to their families would come to the fair. So fun. You can call hog calling an entertainment, a form of entertainment, I suppose. And the family, the dad might, uh, little, little kids will call hogs and uh, perform if you want to call it that. And we see those families did over the years and then you won't see them again because their kids would get older and not show at the fair. We also had people come down from Chicago and it's a state fair. So they would come from all over the state, come from Iowa in Indiana and Ohio to compete. Now, is this mostly men or women involved as well? Both, both, yes. And, are, and is it just one category though? I mean, are the men and women competing against each other? Yes, no? yes, yes. It's, it's, you have a few a couple minutes and and one of the things you know the a uh, 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 hog call is a traditional hog call is actually calling a hog uh, some of the hog callers that have actually won are doing pig noises which is 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 that's that's where the crowd claps and is entertained by that but uh, you have quite a quite a variation i have to say i've met some really really unusual people from all over the state doing that over the years. So, so what do you do? Do you do the, the hog calling or do you do some of the, the pig noises as well? No, I don't do the pig noises. I just do the hog calling. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it seems to work out well for you, doesn't it? Well, it's kind of like, let me, let me, I, I remember listening and watching you over the years. I compare hog calling. It, it's, I'm making a joke now um, of the pitcher that saves the game. So, you know, the, the professional pitcher, he may not really play maybe, maybe uh, I don't know how many games would they play in a summer, but if he saves 12 games, uh, then, then he's, he's really doing well. My record is the same as that pitcher. I've won 10 out of 29, but I just didn't get the $16 million that he did. <laughs> Boy, wouldn't that be nice? If yeah, you it did. Would. yeah, it would. That's, that's my comparison. So whatever. So I imagine what you get is just a nice little shiny trophy, right? That's your your you. Yes, we got it. We got a trophy. Yes, those are the years that we did, and I, and I, and it it opened up a door, and you may or may not remember 
the door was opened uh, 14 years ago. I was on Jay Leno and I called a pig across the Jay Leno stage with a lady from Idaho to determine who would win the 43rd Super Bowl uh, in front of 31 million people on television. So I've had some opportunities in life that no one else has ever had. Well, it sounds like you're about ready to to write a book. I mean, with all the stories and memories, uh, is is that on your bucket list or not? I'll pay tribute to my dad who was 99 that died last February. And he had said many times the same. He said, you need to write a book. So the, the first part of it would be how thankful I am for all the things that have come my way. All right. Well, Chris, I've enjoyed talking to you. Anything else you would like to add before I let you go today? Lighten up your day. I think I already told you this, but why not just go ahead and ask you again if you heard about the claustrophobic astronaut? Well, I have, but I'll let you tell the story then. It turns out he needed a little more space. <laughs> and on that note, we will call this a wrap. Uh, Chris Carr from Seymour, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks.